You're listening to the Business with Purpose podcast with your host, Molly Stillman of stillbeingmolly.com. This podcast takes you behind the scenes with some of the world's most generous entrepreneurs, from the CEOs of mission-driven brands to directors of small community nonprofits and everything in between. Molly is sitting down with men and women who believe in changing the world not only through their personal lives, but also their professional careers. And now, here's Molly. Welcome to the Business with Purpose podcast with your host, Molly Stillman of stillbeingmolly.com. And we are on episode three, tres, trois of the Business with Purpose podcast. And I am so excited for my guest today, Bethany Tran of The Root Collective. She is cracking up at me right now because she's like, you are ridiculous. I'm so laughing right now. I know because it's, you know, it's whatever I but, love but you. you know me so like <laughs> you do. know that also this is not like uncut like people probably listening are like is this lady actually yeah this is how I am it's true it really is it's a fact so for those of you that are just tuning into the business with purpose podcast you're probably like what is this all about so I'm going to do the quick rundown of the purpose of the business with purpose podcast do and this, it this podcast is really geared towards business owners entrepreneurs and people who maybe are just interested in that thing but if you're not a business owner or entrepreneur, there's also something for you too. But I want to focus on the fact that I think that people think that in order to make a positive impact on this world, they have to do it in their like personal life. They don't realize that like you can make an impact, a positive impact with how you run your business. And so my goal is to interview business owners to share how, you know, sort of their motivation for running their businesses and how their businesses are making a positive impact in this world and how they are leaving it better than they found it. Um, and for those of you that are maybe not an entrepreneur or not a business owner, I want to introduce you to these amazing businesses and these amazing business owners that you can be supporting with your retail dollars or, um, you know, how you can connect with them um, in a way to to make a positive impact in that way. So, you know, sort of the the 36,000 foot view, if you will. Um, But anyway, so Bethany Tran of The Root Collective is here with me today. And if you have been a reader of my blog for any amount of time, and if you are just new to this podcast, you don't know, you know, me from Adam or Eve or something something uh, you know the root collective is a ethical shoe company but there's so much more and I'm gonna have Bethany really get into that but they make basically the most adorable shoes on the planet I own somewhere in the neighborhood of 16 pairs with wow. 17 on the way I think <laughs> I think at last cow that's like legit how many pairs I own my my husband I was cleaning out my closet a couple months ago. My husband was like, Do you need any more root collective shoes? I was like, But you know, this is different colors, different outfits. Totally true. It's fine. Mm-hmm. Auto made them. That's right. Um, so with that being said, I'm gonna have Bethany Bethany, well, here we are at two fifty and I haven't even said welcome. <laughs> <laughs> so welcome. Thanks. <laughs> So excited to be here. This Thanks. is fantastic. I know. Thank you for being here. Thank you for being on my, my podcast. Um, so, Bethany, what I like to have my guests do to start is give the Bethany Tran 101. Mm. So what, you know, you know, obviously, it's, you know, you don't have to tell your entire life story. But, I mean, you could. <laughs> when I was five. When I was five, I first... <laughs> It was a really big fan of The Wizard of Oz, and I used to dress like Dorothy. And no, oh wait, that's my story. So, <laughs> so Bethany, so where did you start? Where did you, you know, how, what 
steps kind of along the way brought you to where you are today and what you know how did you start the root collective and and like that so give me the bethany 101 Bethany 101. Well, I have a professional background in marketing and content development. Yeah. So that's what I did. I started that probably when I was in college, I guess. I got my first, like, I was technically like an office manager, but kind of got shoved into marketing and that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, and ended up just sticking. Yeah. So I just went with it. You know, it's normally how those things go. Um. So that was what I was doing um, for 10 years. Um, And the story of the Root Collective started, gosh, it was about seven and a half, almost eight years ago now, I guess. Um, Friends of mine started a nonprofit called Lemonade International, which is based out of Raleigh, North Carolina, which... We're recording very close to there. Real close. The Um, triangle. That's right. And um, so one of my really good friends was one of the founding members. And she went down to Guatemala for a year. So she was living there, um, working in the slum of La Limonada in Guatemala City, which is considered the largest urban slum in Central America. Um, They don't really even know how many people live there because... A lot of the people that live there don't have birth certificates, so they don't even exist as far as the government is concerned, yeah. which is kind of crazy. Um, so she went down there for a year, and I was working in marketing at the time, I guess. And um, so I spent a week down there and started realizing that uh, as an American who grew up in a lower-middle-income family, with a knowledge of poverty and all that kind of stuff, had yeah, no idea what, what real, it was really like, um, and not like. even like what it looked like, like the slums and yeah. you know all that kind of stuff, but just how culturally complicated it is. Like yeah. if you live in the slum of La Limonada, you normally have to lie about your address just to get a job. So just by living there, you are basically considered a second class citizen. Um, and then the slum also has a really intense gang presence there. Um, So there's lots and lots of gangs. Um, There's 10 different barrios, neighborhoods in the slum. And so if you live in one, you don't cross over into another without taking your life, um, you know, in your own hands or someone else's. Um, So came back from that trip and was just kind of like, (laughs) I don't even know what to do with all of this. Yeah. and all of a sudden, my job just didn't really have any meaning anymore. Yeah. <laughs> like, yep. What do I do? What do I do with all of this? Um, and so I started realizing, too, that, you know, nonprofit, it's, nonprofits and traditional charity, the way that they're working, they're so focused on education and healthcare and, you know, all of those things which are important. Yeah. Like, that stuff's important, but, you know, you educate a kid. And then if there's no jobs, not that it doesn't matter, but it's just kind of like there's nothing was really being done at the end of that. Yeah. To you know, continue to break what are really true cycles of poverty. Um, and so I was like, well, crap. <laughs> yeah. Like somebody's got to do something about this. Yeah. Like nobody's doing anything about this. Um, and at the time... Uh, you know, like microenterprises and microfinance, all that kind of stuff is very new. So yeah. I think like even Kiva was 
barely around at that point. And if it was, most nobody knew about it. So, like, this is a very new concept to most people. Yeah. Um, so I was like, well, what do we, like, what do we do? Like, these people need jobs. Yeah. Um, and coming from more of a corporate background, I think it's really easy to get sucked into, you know, well, corporations are bad. Like, business is bad. Business is greedy. Like, all of these negative things that I still hear all the time. And, like, I get why people say that. But kind of after that introduction to really what poverty was like, I was like, actually, business is amazing. Yeah. Business is necessary. Like, not a necessary evil. It's a necessary good. Yeah. Um, it's powerful. It is so powerful. I mean, there is just, there's so much to be said about having a job um, that we tend to take for granted. So I went back down to Guatemala a few times over the next couple of years and every time just kind of coming back like, all right, like somebody's got to do something about this. And I kept yeah. waiting for somebody to do something about it. <laughs> I don't know if anybody else does that. You're like, here's a problem. Somebody needs to do something about this. Yeah. And then you wait. <laughs> and then you wait. And you're like, oh, wait, nobody's doing anything. Wait a it's like, maybe, maybe, maybe that person I need needs to. to me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's basically what happened. Um, so a, my turning point was I turned 30, went through my second quarter life crisis in five years. So I went through one at 25, went through another one at 30. I had just started working for Comcast. So I was working for, like, I had made it according to American standards at this point, working for one of the biggest corporations in the country, um, you know, and that's the headquarters in the middle of Philadelphia on the 40th floor. Like, this is it. Yeah. Like, you've, you've, you're there. I you've am arrived. there. You've arrived. I really had. And I was miserable. Yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, so all of that was going on. And, you know, not that Comcast, Comcast is actually a great company to work for, um, especially if you're in the corporate side. Um, but it was just my heart wasn't being fulfilled and I knew I wasn't doing what I was called to do. Like right. this was not me. Right. Um, and then PBS aired the Half the Sky documentary yep. a couple of months later. Um, I think that was in October. So I started, I started working at Comcast actually on my first anniversary of being married, turned 33 weeks later and then like two and a half months later, the Half the Sky documentary um, aired. So it was like just a whole bunch going on at it's once. It's funny that book is, the book Half the Sky is what has made a huge impact on mm. me. So it's interesting when I hear a lot of people mention Half the Sky. So if you're listening, you should probably check it out. Probably. Probably. Yeah. I actually weirdly haven't read the book. Really? Mm -hmm. It's With really good. How much the documentary impacted me not having read the book is weird. Yeah. I, I um, do that. I am old school, and I read it. I rented it from the library. Nice. I love the library. I love the library. That's all. That's a love it. Talk for another. Day. Yes, I love the library. It's my favorite. But yeah, but yeah, half the sky. Check it out. So good. Um. So literally, I think it was the next day. I was on the phone with Bill Cummings, who is the um, executive director of Lemonade International. And um, Bill and I know each other really well, and so he's he's known my heart for. La Limonada and for poverty and, and all that kind of stuff for a long time and literally <laughs> hiding away in a conference room in the Comcast building like trying to be quiet about this conversation because yeah. <laughs> you know you never want like your current employer to know that like hey you actually want to start a side hustle um, yeah. so my conversation with Bill was literally so I have this idea for this business I like there's a big need here like I can see this need nobody's addressing this need in this community do you know anyone that makes stuff I like it <laughs> <laughs> just, 
make stuff. They, they need, need to make something. They need to make something. I'm like, so I had no contacts with people that were making stuff. Yeah. Um, which is totally backwards. Normally you should start a business the other way around where you like have a product first and then you decide to sell it. Um, and so that was really, that was the official birth was that day of this business. Um, and it took a full year to get off the ground. And we were actually, um, so we launched with shoes and bags, scarves, jewelry. We were working with um, some groups in Kenya as well. Um, so we launched November 9th, 2013. Wow. It's been almost three years. And... Um, it was a really interesting. The first year, I learned a lot, continue to learn a lot mm-hmm. <laughs> all the time. Um, but that first year, we learned a lot. And we ended up scaling things back to really just focus on footwear Yeah. for now. Um, although we just launched our first T-shirt. T-shirt, which you are wearing right now. And for I those am. that are at home and can't see, it is fabulous. I own it. great. I own it in the same color. It's the what's the, the, blue? the estate blue. Estate blue. It does sound fancy. Fancy. Made by Elegantes mm-hmm. in collaboration with the Root Collective. And actually, if you listen to my last episode of Business with Purpose with um, M Sexton from the Flourish Market, we talked a lot about Elegantes and mm. what a fabulous brand they are. They really are. They are. They're they're doing awesome things in this world. Yeah. Um, and so yeah, the Root Collective came out with a shirt collaboration, mm-hmm. which is super exciting. It is. And. Um, and probably actually by the time this airs, um, it will be public that I have actually done a shirt collaboration with the Elegant Tees. I know, <laughs> I know, I know, which is pretty exciting. So, um, but it's like, it's weird because I'm recording this and so like it's happening mm-hmm. soon, but then I'm like, I don't, you know, I don't want to be like, hey. <laughs> anyway, I'll probably edit this out and I probably actually won't. It's fine. Anyway, so yeah, so, th- so you scaled back because um, it's funny because I actually own a Root Collective clutch and necklace. Mm, like mm-hmm. back, I feel like I'm like hashtag old school. You are. Like, it's I'm, vintage. I'm, I'm an OG Root Collective fan because right. I have <laughs> Root Collective right. jewelry and bags. Um, but yeah, so you you know you started off with um, all these different products. You scaled back and just really focused on the the, the niche area of mm-hmm. footwear. Uh, but you have you've launched the shirt collaboration. They have a coffee tumbler. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know there's uh, you know kind of other products, but. Um, you know, you saw a need. And so talk a little bit about auto. So if, if you've mm-hmm. followed the Root Collective, um, you've probably seen the hashtag auto made my shoes. So talk a little bit about auto and sort of how you worked with him and, and then, you know, the women and the weavers um, to really focus on the footwear and, and growing that part of your business. Yeah. So we got connected with auto pretty much right away through Lemonade International. So um just real quick background on yeah. their relationship. Um, the school year in Guatemala runs like January, February through like October yeah. or November, something like that. So we're on the, a different schedule than we are here in the States. So Lemonade International around Christmas every year, they do a fundraiser um, to get the kids a new backpack and a new pair of shoes for the school year because um, these kids are all in the public school system or some of them in um in the private school system through sponsorship with Lemonade International. Um, and then Lemonade also runs academies in directly in the slum, which are not part of the formal school system. And yeah. the reason for that is is that um, the public school system, basically you have two sessions a day 
So like you only go to school for half a day. Mm -hmm. So you either go in the morning or you go in the afternoon. And the problem there is, is that a lot of the kids then are on their own for hours every day. Like there's no aftercare. There's no like they're not staying for sports or any of that kind of stuff. So um, it makes them really susceptible to getting caught up in the gangs down there then because they just have all this time. They have so much time. To just be on their own. And um, so the way the academies work is that – if you go to the public school in the morning, you can go to the academy in the afternoon or vice versa. So they're keeping the kids off the street. They're helping them with their homework. They're feeding them. Sometimes for some of these kids, it's the only meal that they get that day. Um, so, but the thing is, is that if you're in the public school system, you have to have black leather shoes. Interesting. Or you can't go to school. Totally Very weird. Interesting. Um, you know, so there's, it's more uniform based. Like, yeah. you know, if you go to most public schools here in the States, you don't have that. Um, so they do this fundraiser to, um, get the kids a backpack and a new pair of shoes. Mm -hmm. And, um, they had gotten connected with Otto. He lives in Lali Manada just through being out in the community. And they actually were able to give him a micro loan to start a shoe business right in the slum. And then they placed an order for like 250 pairs of shoes for the kids through this fundraiser that they do around the holidays. And he was able to pay off that loan in like two months or something like that because of that. So they had just started working with him um, maybe the year before I had that first conversation with Bill. Yeah. And um, so that was kind of one of those things, you know, like, well, there's, you know, there's Otto. So we know this guy, Otto, he makes shoes. And I was like, oh, shoes would be, you know, it'd be interesting because it's not something that you see very much in the marketplace in terms of fair trade and ethical fashion. Obviously, everybody wears shoes, but not so much on that side of things. So. Um, I flew down to Guatemala a couple months after that first conversation with Bill and um, met Otto and uh, heard more of his story. So he is a former gang member, which if you have ever seen a picture of Otto... It will blow your mind. Yeah. Because <laughs> he's like this big teddy bear. Like I know. he's just got the sweetest smile. And um, you know, if you ever have seen a photo of him laughing, like that's just how he is yeah. in real life. Like he is just so soft and gentle and um just has such a heart for his community. And so knowing that part about him, like when I met him, I was like, I don't I don't get it. Yeah, I don't, <laughs> yeah what? I know. Really? Um So his, what I like to call his redemption story was that he was with his muchachos, with some of his other gang members, um, and they were robbing a bus, which is like, you don't take public transportation in Guatemala City unless you have to. Yeah. (laughs) Um, It is very common for buses to be robbed down there by um, just gangs and just hooligans in general. Um, And so he was on the bus robbing the bus with his gun out and this little girl was on there with her parents and she empties out her pockets and she holds out the contents of her pockets which was you know just change like not much but she said to him take everything that I have just don't hurt my mommy and daddy Mm. and he turned around and walked off the bus and never went back uh which was actually really dangerous for him to do because a lot of the times if you try to leave the gangs, oh, yeah. they will come after you. Yeah. They will murder you. They yeah. will come after your family. But um, I don't even know exactly how it was he managed to escape unscathed, but he yeah. did. 
Um, so he really understands the complexity of gang life and needing a job, yeah. like just the importance of a job. Because if you have joined a gang, they normally tattoo on your face, or your neck. So you're essentially branded then as a gang member. And if you're already living in Lali Manada, considered a second class citizen, and then yep. you have a gang tattoo, your chances of getting a job are almost non-existent. So yeah. his entire business plan is to train and hire former gang members to help them leave that life or to get the younger guys before they join the gangs in the first place. Yeah. Um, so just this amazing redemptive business model. Yeah, it really is. Um, which I have just come to learn how much that really means, like how much redemption really is in business, which is amazing. Um, so I got connected with him and f- found out very early on how inconsistent like materials are in Guatemala. And it's it still continues. I've yeah. been in this business for, you know, we've been launched for three years. I've been working on it for four. Still have problems with like consistency of being able to get material. So, yeah. um, you know, he was telling me basically like, Okay, so we can design these shoes because obviously I knew it's got to be stuff that's going to sell here in the States. Yeah. So like we're not going to go like fully crazy ethnic, which Guatemala has beautiful textiles. It's what most of the footwear is made of out there. But, um, you know, we just had to be careful about our design choices. Yeah. Um, So he was basically saying like, look, I can go to the market and get a gray color. And then once you need to reorder, you know, like a month later, I'm going to go. They're not going to have it. They're not going to know when they're going to be able to get it. And I was like, this is kind of a big problem. Yeah. Kind of huge. So we ended up getting connected uh, with a women and worker-owned weaving cooperative um, that hand weaves fabric Mm -hmm. out in a lot of the really rural areas of Guatemala. So textiles and fabric is very much a cultural part of Guatemalan history. which in Central America, a lot of countries, um, Asia, Africa, like yeah. all those, they have like their very specific textiles and um, it's a very specific style too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really it's really interesting. Um, and in Guatemala, their designs also, which I didn't know, um, you know, like you have like the tartan, right, where like your clan has a specific pattern yeah um and it's the same way in guatemala so if you know the patterns you can actually tell where somebody lives yeah by um their whippeel or their cortes which is their traditional dress um and so anyway so we got connected with them because we were like we need to be able to have consistency and what we can get so we started working with them um I actually contacted them on the last day of my trip meeting Otto because um, it was like, all right, well, this is a huge problem. We've got to be able to solve for this problem. Um, and we have been working with them ever since. Um, so all of our textiles are either hand woven on backstrap looms or um, on a treadle loom, which is a it's foot operated, but it's still considered a hand woven fabric. Yeah. Um, very manual process. So what's and I think we had I've asked you this question before in the past, but like What's the average amount of hours that takes into like how to make just to like for people to really understand and grasp what goes into making these products? Like how long does it take to make this fabric like by Mm -hmm. hand? Because if you see the detail in it, it's unbelievable how they do it. Yeah. So if things are made on a backstrap loom, which literally like if you go on Google, do this, people go on Google, (laughs) (laughs) look up backstrap loom. So you can see it's literally like yarns are like tied to like a tree or a post and they're all rolled out. And there's literally like these sticks that kind of 
go back and forth and there's a strap that goes around the back which is why it's called a back strap um, so this is like the very traditional looms of Guatemala that were there before the Spanish came in the 1500s um, and so some of our patterns like our uh, the spiral pattern that's on a lot of our ballet flats um, that takes about 65 hours 60 wow. to 65 hours for one meter Wow. To make that fabric. Wow. Um, so it really, it varies a lot between, you know, like obviously um, a backstrap woven solid fabric with no um, brocade or, or patterning on it. That's going to take them about eight hours to do a meter of that. Um, and then now we are starting to make some more of our fabrics on um, the treadle loom <laughs> simply because as we're growing, um, it takes so much longer to do them on the backstrap loom. Like it's this beautiful art that we really want to be able to continue to support with a lot of our fabrics. But um, as we grow, uh, like we need to be able to produce a little bit faster. So yeah. we've switched a lot of it over to um, to the treadle looms, which are still just, it's and it's still amazing. Like yeah. watching them operate these things. It, the process, like I've seen videos mm -hmm. of it and it's just like, how do they do? I know, it's amazing. crazy. It really is. I got a lesson on the backstrap loom about, um, I guess it was two years ago. Actually, M from the Flourish Market was in Guatemala with me. Yeah. And uh, we both got a lesson, and we were just like, this is crazy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this is not my gifting. It I did is, not miss my calling in it life. It is amazing. It really is crazy. Something so different that I feel like you're doing is you didn't go in and you didn't force something upon a community. Mm -hmm. You went in and you came alongside somebody like Otto who's already doing this. And a lot of times there's this misconception that like, um, you know, these business owners and these, um, you know, in the developing world, like need our help, which is not False. False. No, they are so smart. They're so savvy. They're just th these amazing business owners. And all they need is somebody who believes in their product mm -hmm. like they do. And a lot of times they just need sort of that extra, that's that somebody to come alongside them and support them and be yeah. like, look at what they're doing and how amazing it is. Mm -hmm. And somebody to speak life over their business and speak life over what they're doing. And that's what I love what you're doing is because you speak life over Otto and his, and his, his people, you know, yeah. and you speak life over the weavers and you just say, I see you, I see what you're doing and I want to support it. Um, it's not a handout, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, yes. and that's, I think what is a huge misconception. And, and a lot of times people, I think you've, you've talked about this openly before that sometimes people push back on you for being a for-profit business mm -hmm. rather than being a nonprofit company. Not yeah. that there's anything wrong with being a nonprofit. And in my opinion, nothing, there's obviously nothing wrong with being a for-profit business, but that's something that you sometimes get pushback on. Yeah. And can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, we we get a lot of pushback on that, believe it or not. Um, so when we when I was initially starting the business, like during that startup year, um, there was a lot of back and forth on like, do we go the nonprofit route yeah. or do we do the for-profit route? And because so many, like 10,000 villages, they're a nonprofit. Like yeah. so many social enterprises are nonprofits, um, which they have their reasons for, for doing that. But for me, um, you know, exactly what you said where <laughs> we don't help. Yeah. We don't help. Like if you were to go away, Otto would still mm -hmm. exist and yeah. his business would still exist. Yeah. 
which is so important. Yes. So, um, you know, exactly what you said, where it's just like a lot of times people come into these communities and um, it's really easy to think that they need our help. Mm -hmm. And it's like, actually, Otto, he already had this business. Like, the women already had this business. Um, And so that's really, that was the main reason why we decided to go for the for-profit structure was because I don't want to come in as the savior mm-hmm. of you need my help because you don't like yeah. really you just need like you said you need somebody that believes in what you're doing and can open up access to a buying market yeah. and I wanted to be that that path that way to do that um so you know we all I, all I do is talk about partnership like mm-hmm. Otto is not employed by me yeah. He is a partner. Yeah. Um, you know, we just launched our first collection of booties yesterday. So we're yes. working with a new uh, boot maker. I'm partnering with him. Like yeah. we partner with the women that weave our fabrics. And the, really the reason for that is just you are capable. You are just as much of a human being as I am. Yep. You are just as much of a business owner as I am. And I am acknowledging that Otto. I am acknowledging that Raphael. I am acknowledging that, um, you know, the women that we work with. And so having that structure was really, really important for me coming from a dignity perspective of where, you know, they don't need me. Yeah. They don't. And that is key for me. And that's another reason why we don't come in and we don't, we don't teach skills. Um, we've gotten contacted by um, different groups in Guatemala before that basically are like, can you come in and do skills training and start using our, um, you know, whatever people are in our community for, for your business? And it's like, number one, right now we don't have the manpower to yeah. do that. And number two, we're not skills trainers because Otto understands his community in a way that I cannot. Oh, yeah. Because he lives there. And he has grown up there. Right. Um, you know, and just Raphael understands his community in a way that I cannot. So it's really been really important for for me um, in doing my business intentionally and on purpose is just acknowledging that we've been screwing up mm-hmm. in terms of how we're viewing these communities just in general. And I want to be a part of that redemption and a part of that process of changing how poverty is looked at and how manufacturing and supply chain, all those things are looked at. So very intentional, um, but a lot of people just don't understand. Yeah. They don't get that. Now, real briefly, um, I want to highlight the fact that uh, it was over a year ago now, you, um, the Root Collective became a certified B Corporation, Mm -hmm. which is huge. Can you talk a little bit about what that means for somebody that says, sees maybe that logo that says you're a certified B Corporation. What does that mean exactly? That means I spent a lot of time filling out paperwork. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Other than the paperwork part. Other than the paperwork part. A lot. Um, so certified B Corps are, it's something that's relatively new. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of people understand what being fair trade certified yeah. or being a member of the fair trade federation, federation like what that means. Um, and a B Corp is similar. But what they do is they look at your entire business model. So when I filled out hours worth of paperwork, it was, do you recycle? Do you use low impact dyes? Are you sourcing materials within 200 miles of your headquarters? Um, And so there's basically there's different 
almost different paths that you can go through on this assessment of your business model, depending on what type of a business that you are. So like Etsy, they're a certified B Corporation, which most people don't know. Um, there's a lot of services companies like marketing firms or um, financial services firms that are certified B Corporations. And basically what that means is that your business exists to make a positive impact. Yeah. Which uh, I heard a quote by Nelson Mandela recently, which I cannot believe I'd never heard before. And he said, um, like, fair trade does what we assume all businesses do. Uh, Yeah, I've heard that. Um, Love it. And I think that there is just this assumption in general that a lot of businesses exist to do good, like they're doing good. They're Mm -hmm. they're paying people fairly. They're, you know, trying to reduce their impact as much as possible on the environment and all these other kind of things. But the fact of the matter is, is that's not true. No, it's true. It is not true. Um, You look at manufacturing in the fashion industry, um, which I got a real harsh introduction to once I started this business. Um, The Rana Plaza factory collapse happened. Yep. Um, Em and I just talked about that in our last episode. Yeah. So that happened during that year that I was starting my business. And so it was kind of like this, oh, crap moment of um, there is actually an entire industry out there that is jacked up. Jacked up. Jacked up. Not in a good way. Um, So our B Corp, we got our certification, I think it was about a year and a half ago, a little less than a year and a half ago now. Um, and the reason that we decided to do that was honestly largely because we are a for-profit business. Yeah. And people assume that I've literally heard the words within months of launching, you're taking advantage of the poor. Mm. And it's like, actually. <laughs> no. Actually, no, we're not. Yeah. Actually, like our makers, the people that make our stuff are setting their own pricing. Yeah. Like they're deciding what their people need. Yep. To be able to survive in yep. a positive way. Um, and so, no, no, we're not actually taking advantage of the poor. It's actually the exact opposite. So um, that's really our third-party stamp of approval that we're doing what we say we're doing yep. as a social business. Yeah, I love it. Now, one of the things that, I mean, you just inspire me in so many ways to begin with. But I think one of the things that is just so powerful is just the platform that you as Bethany Tran use to to just educate consumers on the fact that every single thing you buy is made by a human being. She's with clapping it. her hands right like, now. I'm like, <laughs> I get so, well, because, you know, I get, I get fired up about it. Like, But like every single thing you buy is made by a human being with a name and a story. Mm-hmm. And so many times we forget that. And, um, you know, I, I want to get to the point, uh, you know, where we, instead of, you know, it's funny, like, again, if if you listen to my episode with M from the Flourish Market, I said this with her, is just like, I want to get to the point where instead of being proud that we spent $4 on a shirt at Old Navy and saved all this money, that we, we say, oh, look at this shirt that I bought that is making an impact on this person. Like, look, they signed it. Mm-hmm. Like, my tag has, uh, you know, the signature of the person who made it. Um, you know, and I love that. Like, about when I wear a pair of Root Collective shoes and people say, oh, my gosh. I mean, not only are they adorable, but people will be like, <laughs> oh, I love your shoes. And I'm like, yeah, let me tell you about the Root Collective and, like, who made them. And I know the person that made them. Mm-hmm. Um you know, and I, I love, like, there's a company called Tonelay Design that I love. Yeah. And Tonelay, they're a zero waste company. But I also, I love that, like, on every tag, like, there's literally, like, a, a signature with a pen of the, the woman that made it. Yeah. And um, that's so powerful. Um, but, you know, at the same time, 
a lot of times people don't who aren't necessarily like in that world and they don't know they're just ignorant to the fact of and it's not at a bad I mean like well, I was ignorant to so we, was were, I. we were all ignorant at one yeah. point mm-hmm. um but you know how do you make it accessible for people and and I don't ever want to you know my goal with you know sort of this platform and and when I talk a lot about this stuff on my blog and just in general in my life is like I never want to make anybody feel bad about yes. shopping at Target. Like that's not the the purpose of this. Like mm-hmm. I love Target just like most American women. <laughs> like like my ideal Friday night is like roaming the aisles of Target alone. But you know what I mean? But but my purchases at Target are much more mindful now. Mm-hmm. Um and, and in a lot of ways, like, it, it's it's made my shopping at Target much more difficult. But I don't ever want to guilt anybody. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a process. And, and the fact is, is it's hard. Mm-hmm. It is hard to know where everything you're buying was made and how it was made. It's, it's difficult. But we as consumers were so powerful because mm-hmm. the more that we speak up and the more that we talk about it with our friends and the more that we contact these companies and ask the tough questions like, hey, how'd you make that? Yeah. Like, <laughs> where did you make that? Can you tell me a little bit about your manufacturing practices? Like, the more that we can speak up and ask those questions – the more of an impact we're going to have. And again, and it's not like trying to be a wah, wah, Debbie Downer, like, yeah. did you know that? Like, I always, that's sometimes like how I feel when somebody's like, I got this shirt at Old Navy and I want to be like, like, just like Rachel Dratch <laughs> from Debbie Downer, did you know that probably a five-year-old made it? Like, I really am not trying to make a joke of child labor, but like, I'm serious. Like, that's sometimes how I feel. Yeah. Um, but I think you use such a positive platform and there's such a way, you know, you, ha- you have the new, that hashtag, the creative culture of kindness. Like there's a way to share these stories and a way to bring up this topic for people and make it accessible. So, you know, what do you say? All of that to say, oh, it's a lot of setup, but all of that to say, like, how do you, when somebody comes to you and says, like, talk to me about shopping with purpose and purchasing with purpose, like, what can I do as a consumer? Like, mm-hmm. how can I make an impact with my retail dollars? Like, that's a that's a loaded question, but mm-hmm. it's also a really important one because we we spend money for the most part. Every single one of us, we spend money every day. Yeah. So how we spend that money makes an impact. Yeah. I think um, the thing with women in particular that I get really excited about is that women are responsible for 85% of a household budget. Yeah. In terms of the money that is being spent, we spend 85% of it. And, you know, that's clothing, that's food, that's, you know, dish detergent, whatever that may be. So that's everything. But um, consumers literally, actually are the most powerful people in the world. Yeah. Like how you decide as a consumer to spend your money on your T-shirts, on your shoes, on your coffee and your avocados and your dish detergent. Yeah. um, That is really setting a precedent for the kind of world that we are going to live in. So yep. how you spend your money literally determines the kind of world that you want to live in. Yeah. And um, I think it is, we're so disconnected from manufacturing here in the States because we barely make anything anymore. Yeah. Um, like you can find things like nail polish. A lot of nail polish is made in the U.S. Some makeup is made in the U.S. Um, plastics. We do a lot of plastics here in the U.S. My garbage can. Yep. And my kitchen was made in the U.S. But when it comes to things like clothing and stuff like that, where 
everybody wears clothes for I mean for the most part unless yeah. you're two or part of <laughs> part of a nudist colony then maybe not I so mean, much. I mean sometimes I choose not to wear clothing. So just kidding. Just no judgment. Yeah. Just kidding folks. Just kidding. I'm like a uh, Tobias Funke on Arrested Development. I'm a never nude. So for those of you that were that are Arrested Development fans, you know what I'm talking about. If you don't watch Arrested Development, you're probably like what is she talking about? You should watch Hilarity. Arrested Development anyway. Oh my gosh, it's so funny. <laughs> Um, <laughs> Tobias. <laughs> so there's a uh, a documentary that was put out uh, a little over a year ago now called The True Cost, which talks yeah. a lot about. I've talked about the, this before. I talked about yeah. it a lot. It's amazing. Um, about the fashion industry and manufacturing in general. And um, I heard in a, actually a podcast interview with a guy that directed that movie. And he was, you know, basically saying, like, it can feel overwhelming. Like, if you're looking at, like, the oil crisis or things yeah. like that, like, how do you impact that? But with clothing, you literally, as a consumer, you get to decide where you're spending your dollars. Yep. Um, so the question that I always ask is, you know, you hear, and I'm guilty, I've done this in the past, too. So, again, like you were saying, like, this is this is a no-judgment zone. Like, yeah. No judgment. But you brag about that $20 pair of jeans that you got. Yeah. Okay, let's break that down. Yeah. That cotton had to be grown. Yeah. Had to be ginned. Had to be turned into thread. Had to be turned into fabric. Probably had to be shipped halfway around the world to be cut and sewn. And then shipped back. And died. And died. Um, how is that possible? Yeah. How is it possible to buy a pair of jeans for twenty dollars, or a T-shirt for five dollars, or a pair of flip-flops for two fifty, and know that people in the supply chain were treated fairly? Yep. How is it possible? Yeah. Um, and I have actually, I think it was two or three years ago, um, took some sewing classes. Like I actually learned how to sew when I was little. Um, but it is not like riding a bike. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like once you stop, you don't normally actually remember how to do it. So um, I felt like like being in this business, I need to know a little bit more about just putting things together. So I took a couple sewing classes and um, like I made a shirt. I think it took me 60 hours. Oh, my gosh. Because I have no idea what I'm doing. So, yeah. you know, and then I'm like, sewing things up and taking it apart. No idea what I'm doing. Right. Um but it takes a really long time. Yeah. Um, and I have other friends who have, like, they went to FIT, which is one of the best fashion schools in our country. And um, a friend of mine was saying, like, you know, somebody had dropped off some old fabric and, like, 10 bucks when it was like, hey, I thought you could make me a dress out of this. Like, $10. Like, having no idea how long it actually oh, yeah. takes to put something together. Um, so we know how much something cost us. But do we know how much it cost the person that made it? What was the human cost behind that five dollar t shirt? And this is not a bad thing to have not thought about it before because we're just it's not on our face. Yeah. Like how many how many of us actually know somebody that works in manufacturing? I don't. Mm-hmm. I have do not know anybody that works in manufacturing here in the States um, because we've kind of lost that art form. Um, so, you know, and I've had friends that watched the true cost and they come back to me and they're like, basically, I feel I feel like crap about myself. And it's like, no. Yeah, no. Don't. Look at the future. Right. Um, William Wilberforce, who was a powerhouse in the emancipation in the UK back in the 1800s. 1800s? 
I think it was 1800s in the UK, yeah. who was responsible for getting one of the bills passed through to um, stop the slave trade in the UK. And he said, you can choose to look the other way, but you can no longer say that you did not know. Yes. And um, yep. I have chills even just saying that because it's so true that, you know, you you listen to this podcast, you watch True Cost, you 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 know, educate yourself a little bit more. Don't feel bad about it. No, absolutely. Don't feel bad about it. Look at how much knowledge you now have to make an impact um, with how you are spending your money in the future. And most importantly, you start talking to your friends about it. Yep. You start talking to your family about it. Um, and I do not come from a background of influence. I mean, I grew up in the town of Bangor, Pennsylvania, which nobody even knows. There was literally two stoplights. Yeah. Small little town. Um, you know, didn't know any famous people. Didn't like none of that stuff. Like I have no influence. Um, and yet it has been such an interesting journey in the last four years of watching my family changed their shopping habits. Yeah. My friends changed their shopping habits because this is all I talk about. Yep. <laughs> no, it's – and it's changed – you know, that's – and that's one of the reasons I've done a huge shift on my blog too because I've seen over the years. Like it was something I just sort of like talked about for mm-hmm. – because like I had been to missions trips and so like I would talk about some of the factories that I'd seen in Kenya like when I learned about – because Kazuri Beads is actually one of the first ethical companies that I ever was really introduced to because I saw their factory and I did a factory tour there. Um and yes, yeah, so, but now it's it's funny to me, like people come up to me now and they'll be like, look, 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 I, I, I bought these shoes from the Flourish Market. And like yep. now they're proud of like the positive <laughs> brands that they're buying from. And I'm just like, yes, I love it. Mm-hmm. Like, and you don't, yeah, you don't ever want to make anybody ever feel bad. But it's yeah. just, it's just all about education. And, um, and that's, that's one of the purposes of this podcast is just you know, introducing people to a different side of business um, and a different side of, uh, ways that we can make an impact on a daily basis just by the money we're spending yeah. and how we are choosing to spend that money. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because there's, a, you know, we live in an area like, you know, for those of you that are not from the central North Carolina area, like Durham, where um, I'm based is, this is such a like area where it's very like trendy to shop local and like, yeah. and like, you know, it's very hip. Like you don't, shop at the chains and you you want to be like oh yeah I got it like I I had dinner last night at that little like hole in the wall restaurant Uh on Main Street like it's just it's very like trendy but at the same time like that is that's making an impact on the local economy and then when you kind of like large scale that like in a lot of ways like the Root Collective and companies like the Root Collective businesses like the Root Collective are the online version of the mm-hmm. the trendy little shop on the yeah. corner. Yeah. And by supporting those businesses, you're making such you – know, it has a ripple effect. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, we talk about the butterfly effect where even like the small flap of a butterfly's wings has an impact on the ecosystem yeah. where like you, know, you choosing to buy your shoes from the Root Collective or you choosing to – buy only organic food, you know, or mm-hmm. shopping from the farmer's market, like that has an impact in it. And it just, it ripples. It, it's a ripple effect. Yeah. 
Um, well, so to just kind of wrap up, I like to end on sort of a get to know Bethany Tran note. <laughs> so what is something that maybe a fun fact about you, something that maybe people don't necessarily know? Um, I know something about you that maybe not a lot of people know Uh-oh. is that you used to do dance. I did. Um, but, you know, is there anything like like similar to that that maybe is like a little fun, a little fun fact? We'll call it like fun, fun fact day. <laughs> I want to say I was going to say fun fact Friday because today's Friday, but then it I was is. like, wait, but what if you're listening to this and it's not Friday? It then could it be would, like Tuesday. It would blow your mind, Seriously. and you'd be like, but it's not Friday, so it can't have a fun fact. <laughs> so no fun facts on any other on days. any other day of the week Friday. other than Friday. Yeah. So um, I love to ferment things in my kitchen. <laughs> not even kidding. <laughs> So I make my own kombucha. I like it. You're such a hippie. I am. Um, I say I'm the most non-hipster hipster that ever existed. You are a non-hipster Because I refuse to say that I'm a hipster because I don't like being put in a box. Yeah. So I'm like, I am but not But that's a, a very hipster thing to say. It's like, <gasps> I, don't, I don't like being put in a box. Okay. Dang it. Man. So I brew my own kombucha at home. Um, and I just started making my own naturally fermented ginger ale i love it it's delicious that sounds... so i'm actually making two different things right so i'm making ginger beer which is non-alcohol like root beer or yeah. birch beer something like that it's much stronger but that's the kind of thing you do put some vodka in that yeah. stuff, man. that's delicious <laughs> um, but so that has yeast in it so it's not quite as exciting because the yeah. yeast is a natural fermenter just like if you're making beer or something like that but then um I started making uh, naturally fermented ginger ale, which is a kind of a less strong version, a little bit more appro- a little more approachable to just sip on a hot like summer it. day. Um, but that is literally just like leaving ginger and sugar and water in a dark place and just letting it, you know, like rot. I love it's it. Fantastic. But um, so that's my really weird fun facts. I love. And you have chickens. I do have chickens. We uh, do. We have four chickens. I love it. There's- they have names. <laughs> They have names. I know. Um, so Bethany does love some animals. I do. We could talk. That could be a whole another podcast on Bethany's love for animals. It's, it's a little. You should actually start an entire podcast <laughs> called Bethany's Love for Animals, and then every episode can just be a story of like a random cat you met on the corner and saved its life, and then and then it started a business and probably and, it's, and it was called like Pause for Purpose. And like, <laughs> like, I'm just saying. Anyway, Pause see. For purpose. I'm, <laughs> I love it. I, I do love me some animals. So, yeah, we have four chickens, which we actually got as adult chickens, and they were already named. Um, <laughs> so we've got Little Lady. We have Ruby, who is my favorite. Aww. She's saucy. It's, it's really saucy. She, saucy chicken. She tried to follow me into the house once, and I was just like, okay love you you're great and then um so this next one i have to preface by saying it was named by a three-year-old but i wish that i had been clever enough so its name is chips i like it and there was still one chicken that needed to be named and the mom thought it'd be really funny to name the other one fish chip fish Fish and and chips chips. i like it so we have fish and chips which people often think is one chicken but it's two fish and then chips I love it. Mm-hmm. I love it. Uh, Bethany, thank you so much. Uh, before we go, for how can people best connect with you and The Root Collective? Uh, well, you can find our online shop at therootcollective.com. Yes. Um, we're on Instagram at 
The Root Collective. Um, my personal Instagram handle is Bethany L. Tran. Uh, we're on Facebook at facebook.com slash The Root Collective. And we do a little on Twitter, too. Will tweets. Yeah. I heart TRC. That's yeah, all the, the tweeters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. Uh, Bethany, thank you so much for joining me today. It was a pleasure, as always, to chat with you. Thanks, friend. I'm uh, really glad I could be here. Yeah, anytime. So yeah. thank you guys so much for tuning in to episode three of the Business with Purpose podcast. I Again, I am your host, Molly Stillman of stillbeingmolly.com. Please subscribe, share with your friends. That is how we get the word out. And uh, we just really appreciate all of our listeners for tuning in today. And we will see you guys or talk to you guys or hear you guys next time on our podcast. Have a great day. Bye.